Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip tackles questions such as, what is a depression and what causes it? How does a depression get fixed? How does this impact investors? How do you protect your money in this environment? What does a new world order actually mean? With the answers, here's Philip. Another episode, another week in the pandemic. Last week's jobless claim numbers were terrible. A couple of weeks back, so I have this indicator called a recession and a depression gauge. And so my depression gauge went off, which in our Stonehill Wealth Management portfolios, we went we went defensive. You, you position differently for different ec- economic environments. We talked about it on a previous episode. And so the system caught the signal. The market had dropped, but, the, but it caught the signal as far as the depression gauge, which is what we're in, relatively earlier than normal. And then these jobless numbers came out, and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, it, it actually is... It's not as bad as people think it is when you say depression, but it's worse than what people think it's actually going to be. A lot of folks were trying to jump in the market and buy risky investments again when the market for a couple of years had been penalizing people for buying relatively risky investments. And so the first ones they wanted to jump on was the risky ones, the airline stocks and some retail stocks. And I was like, look, that's not what you want to buy in this environment, you know, long term eventually everything hopefully comes back. Historically, it has. It may not be the stocks that you buy if you're buying individual stocks, but for the most part, if you're if you're talking about industries, the industries are not going away. But as far as like what you, the, the best things to buy in this environment that will likely come back and make you some money when it does come back faster, it wasn't those high risk uh, investments. And so as the job claims came out this week and people start seeing these high jobless numbers in a short period of time, that should definitely concern some people, considering the fact that if you talk to other businesses that have shed people, they're not going to go back and aggressively hire, in, in my opinion, once this thing subsides, because people got caught with not enough cash, too much debt, too much risk, and that's like getting punched in the face. You know, you get punched in the face, next time you're going to flinch, and it takes a little while for you not to, to flinch, and so... Uh, it'll be interesting to see how everything unfolds again. When I say depression, people think super duper negative. I always say it's worse than what you think, but it's not as bad as what you think, if that makes any sense. And so this episode, we're going to cover depression and some questions around depression, and that will be the theme. So first question. What is a depression and what causes it? What's a depression? I'm going to explain it in a super simple term. From an economic standpoint is when there's too much debt in the system in the global economy, too much debt, and there's not enough income to pay the debt back under the current terms. Think of it like a bankruptcy. People file bankruptcy when they take on too much debt and it gets to a point to where their income, like they just can't take it. They can't, you know, they get to a point to where they're borrowing money to pay bills. Now nobody will lend them any more money and their income can't cover the bills and their expenses. And so they got to file bankruptcy to fix everything. So, so think about that's where the depression is. And economies go through this every 40 to 70 years because human beings, as people, we tend to push things to the limit. And so if if you've ever heard of the year of Jubilee in the Bible or in Jewish law, that was a mechanism to help fix depressions uh, where debts were forgiven. We've been going through that for thousands and thousands of years as humans, and it's just a part of an economy. And so A depression is when basically the current economic system goes through bankruptcy and has to restructure 
economics. That's the first. Second question. How does a depression get fixed? You fix a depression a couple different ways. And again, I'm going to I'm going to use the analogy of the of the personal bankruptcy because people understand that you first have to get income above expenses. And so you got to lower the debt payments to a lower level than the income coming in. And you do that a few ways. You can lower the interest rates. You can extend the term of payments. People can give you money to pay towards the debt too. Think of that in the economic term as raising taxes and fees to take from people who have more money and give to the system uh, to pay the bills, tighten expenses. And the thing that the governments can do that we can't do is, is just create money out of thin air, like print money, push a button and add some zeros to the account to pay down the debt, right? And that is happening at different levels all over the world. And and that's how you fix it. So, and, and I'm explaining it super simply because the complex version of it is there's people who are borrowing money and people who are the people who are getting the money or people who are borrowing money, people who are the lenders. And the, the, the lenders don't like uh, printing money because it, it reduces the amount of money they're going to get back because they're getting back like, think of it like monopoly money. They're getting back less, you know, less real money. But they also understand a delicate balance that they understand is it's is that or they get nothing. And so you have different countries who owe money with different political systems with different battles in the country of have and have nots and navigating how the global environment and politicians and central banks do that together is where the chaos is and where the opportunity as an investor is as well. Question number three. How does this impact investors? Here's a basic economic lesson. It's cool to explain it now because we've actually gone through an example of it. So when you're investing money, you can either like lend your money out, right? You can say, hey, I don't want to spend my money because I, I have everything I need and I'm not afraid of prices going up or things running out. So I'm going to go ahead and put my extra money in the bank and let them lend out or I'm going to invest it or I'm going to lend directly or I'm going to buy real estate. But you're like, hey, I got extra money and I can either spend it or I can lend it. And based on what's going on in the economy, people are more willing to lend when they have more trust that the system is healthy and they'll get their money back with some extra money. And they're less willing to lend when the system is not healthy and they're not sure if they're going to get their money back. So think of it. I, I literally woke up this morning trying to go find hand sanitizer because there's still shortages in the grocery stores because everybody said, hey, we don't really have faith in the system. And so everybody went out and took their money and they bought stuff. Instead of leaving it in the bank or in investments or you know, really in the bank, they said, look, I got to go buy some stuff because I think there's going to be a shortage of stuff because if things get real bad and the system gets disrupted, how am I going to get the stuff that I need? So, so people went from being lenders to spenders and they, they spent money and got it out of the system. And so if you understand like that basic concept, then you can build on top of it the next part. And the next part is you're in a depression. And then I just explained, we're going through a period where we're doing our year of Jubilee with money printing and debt restructuring and all that kind of stuff. And so people who are lenders are nervous. They're going, well, if the governments and the politicians don't get this right, I'm going to get back less money. And so there's a there's a delicate balance between saying, all right, do I have confidence they're going to do it, which means I stay, or not, right? And so you got kind of that dynamic you got to think through as an investor. So if you lend and things work out well, 
and, I, and again, I'm using Lend for, you know, it could be investing in stocks, bonds, cash, different asset classes. It can work out for you and be a better return than just buying stuff if it works out. And, his, and historically it has, right? But if it doesn't, then you're better off owning stuff. And so as an investor, you you that's kind of your baseline decision-making process. But when you look at the different asset classes, you say, okay, let's order it up. You have commodities, which is the stuff. So commodities are the stuff. Put also precious metals in there. Precious metals are going to be silver, gold. That's like stuff, right? Whenever people are nervous about the system, they go buy the raw materials, the commodities. Think of that like the stuff you ran and bought in the grocery store. You can buy actual commodities uh, as investments. You can buy gold because gold for 5,000 years has been a store of value when multiple countries and regimes, their currency system blew up. Right, gold was the store of value for the world, and it will very likely continue to be so. Gold is another thing that people run to when they want to be, quote-unquote, spenders versus lenders. Those would be, in this environment, considered the safer assets. Then the next safer asset for the long term are going to be companies that are financially strong. They have a moat. They are growing aggressively. So you could think of the Amazons, the Facebooks, the Googles, the Microsoft. Even the Walmart, as another example, like they're big. And whether we are in the future trading with dollars or seashells or some other type of currency because things didn't work out, people are still going to want to buy those goods and services, right? Apple's another one. And, and I, these are not recommendations. But I'm just giving you an example of other places or companies that you say, hey, they're going to survive it because we need these things to to interact in the world no matter what type of currency you know we use. And so that's another level that people are thinking through as lending and spending. The other level is bonds. So you can say, hey, what are safe bonds, right? What are the bonds that are considered the safest? Right now it's the U.S. United States government bonds because we are the reserve currency, meaning most business is done globally through us. Most central banks have their savings in bonds. They offer an interest rate, and the interest rate pays more than cash. So bonds will be kind of the next level of quote-unquote, safety, and then cash, U.S. government bond cash is kind of the the most risky, not say most risky, but the next risky on the curve. And then third is going to be cash from like other outside currencies, right? And I don't want to go into that, but, but cash as an asset class, wherever it is, is last on the ring of what's relatively safe in this environment. And people will say, well, Philip, why is that? I'm like, well, because going back to what I said before, the way you get out of this is you, you're going to printing money, right? Fake money. And what printing money does is very simply is it just, it makes money worth less on purpose, intentionally makes money worth less. So you got a, you got a situation where cash is not paying anything in interest basically right now. And then you have them bringing down the value of the money because supply and demand, right? The more money, the less valuable it is. So they're going to put more money in the system, which means when you factor the cost of living rising from from them doing that, you actually are losing purchasing power on the money. And and I think investors forget the goal of investing is not like what happens with the actual movement of the money. It's does the money grow faster than the cost of living? If I put my money to work and it grows faster than the cost of living, then it's better for me to not have bought the stuff that that we need to buy. You know, again, going back to the groceries, I could either buy the groceries. Or I could put my money somewhere where it can buy me more groceries two, three, four, five, ten years from now. 
right? And so if you're putting it in cash, that's the most risky thing you can put to buy more stuff three, four, five years from now because you know the money printing is coming. But they, are, they already started, actually. So, you know, you've already seen the government stimulus that they're doing, and it's going to get done more likely. And if you go back to all the other situations where governments got in trouble and they had to go through the process of this year of Jubilee or debt deleveraging, they, they print. Almost every time they print money, which is de- intentionally devaluing the currency, which hurt people who have cash, right? When 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 we went from the UK pound, which the United Kingdom, um, their dollar is called the pound. When we switched from the pound being the reserve currency to the dollar uh, because they had financial troubles, people who had a bunch of cash in pounds got crushed. Let me repeat that. People who had a bunch of money in pounds got crushed. Those right now who are saying, I'm super nervous on what's going on. I'm just going to sit my money in cash, Right you have a very high risk of getting crushed. Your money getting very crushed. This, the same thing played out in the 70s with high inflation. If you sat in the 70s sitting in cash, you got crushed in purchasing power. I'm repeating this because you really want to be thoughtful in this environment of how you lay out your money and don't get caught in cash. Let me also talk about bad stocks. This is the same question, right? I didn't I didn't talk about bad stocks, right? And I kind of I kind of hinted on it earlier, but I said there are good stocks, but then there's also bad stocks. And so the stocks that you want to stay away from are the stocks that have bad financials, right? The opposite of the good stocks, bad financial, they're small, they're in emerging markets, they don't have a competitive advantage. Definitely these tech companies that are not making any money are are not um, good investments because going back to this environment, you're, you're in a situation where there's a lot of chaos going on and people are valuing safety and really, really evaluating the layout of their money. When there's not a lot of money in the system, which again, what a depression is, there's not a lot of money in the system anymore. People aren't willing to lend out money like they were before. People are selective with how they lay out their money. Six months ago, people were like giving out money freely to crazy things. There's a lot of money in the system. And so they were investing in things that didn't really make any sense Uh, less than two years ago. But in this environment, you really want to be cautious of investing in speculative type speculative types of companies that are heavily indebted, have terrible financials, don't have a good competitive advantage, are not making a lot of money. That's again, seek your own counsel when you're doing this. But those in this type of an environment are just terrible investments. If you want to look at a good article, Google stocks that perform well during the Great Depression. And it I can't I think I don't know if it's Motley Fools or it's a website that I looked up. And it was pretty cool to see like the the Googles and the Facebooks of the 30s and 40s because it was um you know the that was when radio was getting big but it was like you know the new tech type companies and same companies I'm I'm describing to you now the ones that are big and strong and financially strong and the ones that were the future leaders of the of the uh, environment but that that gives you an example of what types of stocks do well despite that depression environment that we were in. Let's go to four. How do you protect your money in this environment? So I kind of mentioned it in the previous one about how does it impact investors. The way to protect your money is to be thoughtful and be diversified. And so in this environment, I prefer a portfolio of, you know, based on risk tolerance, time frame, all that kind of stuff, a mix of, you know, commodities, gold, companies with strong financials, 
large with a big competitive advantage with a moat, and also a little bit of cash and treasury bonds um, for a whole lot of reasons. But it gives you a diverse portfolio in the stuff that is likely going to do well. And if, for example, after inflation, which is money printing, the, the bonds don't do well, if they overprint on the money, then the gold is a counterbalance to that, the gold and the commodities. Because if they, if they overprint, the gold and the commodities will do better than what they're supposed to, right? And so uh, historically, that, that's been the case. And so will the strong stocks because they can pass along the rising prices to consumers because people need those products. And so it's a nice, good, balanced portfolio where you don't really want to, in, in, in my opinion, you're not trying to take big bets in this environment. You're just trying to preserve capital in real purchasing power terms. And so that's, in my opinion, how you keep your money safe. Five. What does a new world order actually mean? So that's actually a really good question because going back to what I was saying before, you have the, you have different times. So let me, let me just, let me just go through them. So before World War One, you basically had all the major countries, currencies that were, um, you know, backed by gold. And then World War One put a strain on people's finances because they had to borrow money to pay for the war and too much debt got in the system. And so they had to break the link to gold. And at the time, most business was also done in in the the pound, the UK pound. So they were the reserve currency, but it was a little bit different than the US because everybody had a link to gold. So long story short, through that, things passed. UK's finances got worse. The US took control of the system. And in 1944 or 45, called the Bretton Woods Accord, the US then had the most gold reserves out of everybody in, in the world. And so they linked their money to gold. So the dollar was backed by gold and everybody else backed their currencies by the dollar. Right. And so the dollar became like the dominant world currency. And so that that became the new world order or basically the, the deal to do all the restructuring and everything. That's how everybody was able to uh, manage their debts properly and, and, and come to a decision. And I'm keeping it super simple. They all agreed on that. So then that lasted until the 70s where the U.S. got in trouble financially. We were fighting wars and doing stuff like that in Vietnam. And so Nixon broke the dollars linked to gold, and all the currencies and everything started free-floating, which basically just means, like, nobody was back to the dollar. The dollar wasn't back to gold. So they were all trading, like, based on market forces, no coordination among governments. So that was kind of a new type of system. And then that played out the way it played out over the last few years. And I'm, I'm going to bore you with the details of what happened in the late 70s with high inflation and then the emerging market debt crises and all that kind of stuff through the 80s and 90s. I, I'm going to spare you with that, but I'm going to bring you forward to to current where it's, it, we're, we now have to figure out how to get the new debt fixed in the system. What that means is we may have to establish a, a new world order. And, and what does it look like? I don't think anybody, you know, really, really knows. Right? It, it, you know, it could look it could look like the dollar is no longer the dominant power, but maybe we we do dollars and then we have another currency that China, Russia, and Saudi Arabia and Turkey might use. And then the other emerging markets might use cryptocurrencies. Because in this environment, if you don't have the ability to control your own supply and demand of money, like the U.S. can and other countries, 
that's why Venezuela is looking the way that it is right now because they don't have that ability. And so that's very likely going to play out in other small emerging markets, which is not going to be great. And so they may adopt some sort of some of these cryptocurrencies in those markets. So it may be a more fragmented way to do business where everybody's not just doing business in dollars, they're doing multiple currencies around the world until until we and that may be that may play out for a while until we come up with some other dominant currency. Again, no nobody really knows how it's going to play out. Um, but it's very likely that a, a new way of doing business is going to have to be established because there's so much debt in the system. And I, when I say that, some people get nervous. I'm like, listen, don't get nervous. Like, we as human beings have worked that out for 5,000 years. It's not like some apocalyptic end of the world thing. We figure out a way to work it out over and over and over again every, you know, 40 to 70 years for 5,000 plus years or whatever the history of money is. It's a matter of just being aware of what's going on, what environment we're in, what other investors are thinking, what's the way to appropriately position. And the biggest takeaway that I want people to understand is just this is a, t- a time where you don't want to bury your head in the sand and get caught up in cash. I'm going to explain it a different way. Just like tech stocks were in a bubble in 2000 because everybody ran the tech stocks they thought that was the best place for your money. And just like everybody ran to flip houses in 2007 and eight, and they got crushed and just like everybody ran to cryptocurrency, at the time of a depression when there's chaos, everybody runs to the reserve currency like cash or when the UK was there, like the UK pound. The problem is if you get caught there, when the depreciation of the currency happens, you're going to get crushed. And so it's a situation where you couldn't time when the tech stocks were going to get were going to crush. You couldn't time the, the crypto. And so I'm saying cash right now, everybody in the world wants cash. Right. Everybody in the world wants cash because it's safe. The emerging markets, there's a shortage of dollars and they need dollars to pay back their dollar dominated debt because their currency is going down in value. And so they're like, man, I got to I got to hold more dollars because it's going up in value so I can pay it back. Because if my currency is going down, I got to pay back in dollars. Think of your income going down, but your debt is fixed. It's a bad situation. So they're like, we have to get dollars. So everybody in the world is scrambling for dollars which is causing a price rise, which, again, a dollar bubble, when it bursts, like it bursts in the face of people who are thinking that cash is relatively safe. Again, do your own Google research on this, but just know that in this type of an environment, sitting and burying your head in cash is no bueno. And here's one more thing I'm going to add, too. People think diversification is just stocks and bonds. Unfortunately not. Because again, going back to here, a diversified portfolio, in my opinion, includes in this environment commodities and gold. You just don't know if they're going to overprint. They're probably going to overprint, but if it's going to be really, really bad or not bad. And stocks and bonds go down when people have faith in the financial system. Both go down. And people run to currencies or precious metals and, and commodities again. Think about the grocery store example. Just like people had shortages of of the actual food they were trading their money for buying up extra food that's what happens in the commodity and and precious metal models right Uh, markets over and over and over again throughout history so that is my two cents on that also anybody who wants to have a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track or off track you are for your retirement goals i do complimentary consults through my company stonehill wealth management to do a one-off complimentary consult uh, of your portfolio or your retirement plan. Uh, you can get that done going by going to stonehillwealthmanagement.com 
forward slash talk. That's stonehillwealthmanagement.com forward slash talk. Y'all enjoy the rest of your day. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.